and welcome to the Adaptation Station podcast. This is your host, Nicole. I'm a former special education teacher and currently an ABA therapist at a private center. This podcast is filled with tips and tricks for not only being the best special education teacher you can be in the classroom, but living the best life you can live outside of the classroom as well. After all, I'm all about balance. Hope you guys are excited. Let's jump on in. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. We have another roundtable today. This one is talking about ABA being more than DTT, because yes, ABA is a lot more than just working through flashcards. I'm going to have my two co-hosts introduce themselves now. Hi, I'm Kim Davison. Um, Kim loves teaching on Instagram, and I currently work in Tennessee as a behavior interventionist at Um, to high schools. So I go back and forth trying to help our students who have repeated discipline incidents and see what we can do to minimize that. And my name is Alana Marber. My handle is at SpedMadeSimple. Um, I actually have two positions currently. So I work as a kindergarten through second grade teacher in a self-contained classroom for students with autism. And I also do uh, private in-home therapy working as a VCBA. Um, I work in D.C. and Northern Virginia. And then in case you're finding this podcast through either one of them, I'm Nicole. I am a therapist at an ABA company. We're recording this podcast in April. I'll hopefully be sitting for the boards myself in the next two months. So you might be listening to this and I might be a BCBA. Time will tell. But what we're going to dive into first is can either one of you take a stab at explaining what DTT is in case somebody doesn't know what we're talking about? Sure. DTT is discrete trial training, um, which is used where there's a very specific SD or thing that you're asking for, a very specific behavior that you're looking for, and a very specific consequence that would follow after. So like in the example of a flashcard, you would hold the flashcard up, the student would identify what's on the flashcard, and a certain response would be given. And so that is what a lot of people picture ABA to be completely. So you know when I say work at a clinic, people sometimes think I spent eight hours with a box of language builder cards in front of me just showing flashcards. And that's so little of what I do. And so the podcast today is to help give you guys kind of an insight of the different ways that ABA can be applied really in the classroom and how you can use it. So the first one I want to talk about is that natural environment teaching, because that is one that I did not utilize enough when I was teaching. But natural environment teaching is a little bit more of like kind of planning out what you're going to use in your classroom, but it's a lot less prep because it's just using the things around you. So, you know, so much time with building vocabulary, you can just be sitting in your recess area. And instead of having pictures of toys, you can just be using those actual toys or it's using a book when you're reading with a child or something like that. Do you guys have any other examples of how you would use that natural environment teaching in the classroom? Sure, I can take a stab at it. So in my classroom, we have students, like I said, in kindergarten through second grade, but developmentally, they're across all different levels. Um, We have students who are just early on that VB map, um, and we have students who are pushing into gen ed, but all of them benefit from that natural environment teaching. We have one center that's specific for net, um, and I actually don't run this. My partner teachers, or what some people call paras, run it. Um, and so they have very specific goals that if someone walked into the room, they might think it's just play, but we have very specific things we're working on. If a child is working on 
say certain mans or manding for a specific missing item, that's going to be one thing that they're targeting. It might be that they have a racetrack out and no cars and they're waiting and seeing, will that child ask for that missing object? That's like one specific way that um, if you look at net in particular on a schedule, that's how it could look. Um, that's one way we use it in our classroom at least. And I've also done something similar with the missing item. Um, like if we're doing an arts and crafts project and I will like, I'll hold back the scissors. Um, so not only do they have to know what they need, but they also have to ask for it. Um, Cause a lot of times in my classroom, prior to becoming a behavior interventionist, I was in a special ed classroom too. Um, and a lot of times our kids did not have the skills to request. Um, so they would identify what they need and then, you know, can I have the, um, so that was, I used it a lot when we were doing art projects. Do you guys have any others that come to mind that you say, oh, every teacher in a classroom like this should know about it because it's a really effective strategy? I use, and this is in my classroom, but also when I'm with my in-home clients, um, teaching language across routines. So those are things that sometimes people overlook for teaching opportunities. And I honestly think they're the best time for kids to learn different verbal operands and different um, facets of verbal behavior. So for example, if you have a kid who is learning to wash their hands, from a behavior standpoint, you might be focusing on the actual physical task of washing hands. But from that verbal behavior standpoint, you could be working on identifying the items, requesting items, um, labeling what you're doing as you're doing it, adding that noun and that verb together, um, waiting for someone to help you turn the water on if it's too hard for you. Um, that's just one example, but you can think about entering a classroom, putting your things away, joining during like a morning meeting, so many different routines where you can focus on some natural environment teaching. And I found in using that a lot of times your other student peers are your best models for that. Mm -hmm. So if like we were getting ready for lunch and somebody would go get their lunch bag and we would all just kind of stand there because we knew that another student had it, a lot of times a student, you know, a peer would say, you need to go get your lunch box. Or what do you, you know, I have, you know, do you need something? Um, so it was really neat to bring in those peers as models um, to help also help teach that verbal language. Another thing that I know that I didn't do a great job at when I was teaching was incidental teaching opportunities. So when things happened, I just took care of them as a teacher. And looking back, I wish I had used that as an opportunity to help my class or my students kind of learn how to use those problem solving skills. I think that's one area that we get stuck in a lot is teaching a skill in like that contrived setting and then generalizing outside of it. So even though I was working on like advocacy skills, when something happened where my student could advocate, I was just already fixing it for them. I'm like, oh, no, that would have been a time for me to work on, okay, now you know how to advocate, do it now. So do you guys want to give examples of like what that means? That's something I actually have a conversation with all my families, private clients, and in school constantly. There are so many things across the day that you have to just think about your own behavior as an adult first before you can help a child change their behavior. And it's things like when we go to line up to enter the classroom, our door locks from the outside. And sometimes I'll say, okay, go in and then just wait. It's all about that wait time. Um, that's something contrived in the classroom for at home. Sometimes I'll also do like, if you happen to the elevator in your apartment building, see if they know what floor to go to, see if they know what the next step is, are they just going through the motions? And then in terms of um, like a play setting even, 
if you have toys that you know are highly reinforcing for your child, maybe put it in a clear container that they can't open. Um, that's always a winner. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> our, some of our play items in my former classroom were locked um, in a cabinet. And so they had to get to an adult and then ask for the certain specific thing. Um, but I also, I heard one time about wait time. If it feels awkward, you're doing it right. Because a lot of times I think we jump in so quickly that even though we mean to, we're like, okay now, and really and truly like, it's just us. And so the best advice I got on wait time was don't wait until it feels very awkward for you. Like wait them out. You know, what's going to happen if you don't, um, you know, they'll, they'll have they have more time they have to figure it out the better. So the best on wait time is if it feels awkward, you're doing it right. And I love that because that's very easy to apply tomorrow if you're listening to this podcast. That totally makes sense. Another one that I was talking with Cassie from Veterans Behavior, and she actually shared this on a podcast like a couple months ago, and I still just keep thinking about it because it's so brilliant. I use a lot of task analysis for things like tying your shoe, brushing your teeth. She used them to teach academic concepts like multi-step math problems. And like, it never occurred to me to use that like systematically to teach upper level math skills. So are you guys using anything like a task analysis and can you kind of share more about what that is? Yeah, I can actually start. So I have a student who, you know, we are a self-contained classroom, but I have students when they're ready, they go into gen ed a bunch. And this student in particular, he's been ready for a while going in a bunch and even more this year. Um, even though we're in a pandemic and still learning virtually, we had to find really great ways to um, support him when he might not have that person sitting next to him. So we've used task analyses for a few things. Uh, one of the thing, one of the issues we ran into was he wasn't turning in work in his gen ed class. Not because he wasn't doing it, because he didn't know how. And all it took was me taking screenshots, pictures, writing out with the photos what you need to click through to see how to turn in your work. And all of a sudden, all his work was done. <laughs> uh, I love directions like that. You know, I need them and the total sense that our students could benefit from them as well. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, those are really all the ones that I plan to cover, but do you guys have anything else that you want to throw out there just for like, what really helps you be successful in your job looking from that ABA perspective? I think in my job, I spend a lot of time focusing on finding the function. Um, going between two high schools, some of the biggest problems that present themselves are these kids are tardy. Well, okay, if I put in an intervention and don't give them any time to talk in the hall, if they're late because they've been hiding and trying to escape all the hallway attention, then I'm not doing them any good. Um, and so really kind of trying to drive in, why are they, why are they behaving that way? Why are they late to class? Um, what do they get when they walk in late? I have a kiddo who the function is very clearly attention and he walks into a room and the teacher will stop and student, why are you late? And where have you been? And what are you doing? And don't you know you're supposed to be here? And we've all had to wait on you. And I looked at the teacher and I said, and he just won the lottery. And the teacher was very, she's like, no, I'm not being nice. And I was like, it's not that. He wants your attention. And when he walks into the room late, he gets every bit, not only of yours, but of the entire classes. And I said, so what if we try not doing anything when he walks in the door, mark him tardy and just go on. 
And a couple of times it took a while, you know, as behavior change always does, the student just stood there waiting for that, you know, big amount of attention to come their way. And then he finally started just getting there and sitting down because it wasn't working anymore. Um, and so I think really trying to, I feel like I, in my job switch from being in the classroom to being a behavior interventionist going back and forth, I moved from teaching my students to teaching teachers um, and kind of helping them look at what's the function, why are they doing it, and then what can you do about it? Um, and then the biggest other thing would be finding those replacements. That student really wanted attention. And so instead of giving them the attention of why are you late, we put in where if he was on time to class, he got to tell a joke at the end of class. And so and that also helped the student be on time. So I think really diving into that um, from the ABA perspective has given my teachers a lot to think about um, and be able to, as soon as they kind of figure out, oh, wait, he wants attention, how can I do it where I'm okay with it too? I love that you point that out because it's so important for that replacement to serve the function. And I think a lot of people kind of get stuck on, I actually saw this happen at work today. We had a client who really just needed to get some like physical energy out. Like that was very clear that he was fancy. He needed to go to our gym, ride a scooter. And the therapist was prompting him to choose a reinforcer to work for. And I'm like, no, like I know he really likes those items, but that's not going to meet the need if he's got like the jitters. He needs to go ride the scooter to get them out. And so I think sometimes it's important to really look at, okay, well, is this behavior like non-compliance or is it like general, generally a different need? Because if it's a different need, you have to approach it a different way. And I think sometimes we forget that. So I love that you pointed out that replacement behavior. And Kim, you kind of touched on something that I was going to start talking about um, when you started talking about adults. So I think one thing that people forget about ABA is when they hear ABA, they think, oh, kids with special needs. And then a lot of times they particularly think kid with autism and that's all ABA is for. Um, and that's, that couldn't be further from the truth. Um, I find that a lot of ABA is about changing adult behavior and getting adult buy-in first. And then the child's behavior follows. Um, mm -hmm. I have really noticed, yes, my role in school is particular for my classroom, but I've noticed that other teachers really rely on the support from me when they hear, oh, this is a behavior I'm having, and they hear really great suggestions, and then they try it for a day, and they say, oh, it didn't work. I'm like, well, just I promise you, stick with it for a few days, have that buy-in, and you're going to see a change. Yeah. Um, same thing with families, too. I have families, and I warn them in advance behavior change does not happen overnight, mm -hmm. right? Stick with this for a while and it's gonna, probably gonna get worse or changed or, um, you know, change in intensity, change in what it looks like and then hold out and, it, and the behavioral change um, for the better to help that kid or that student. Um, but the buy-in is definitely a big one. <laughs> Absolutely. When we get stuck on the how long it's gonna take, I always go the diet route. I'm like, you know, you didn't get to this weight overnight and it's not like i love how people are like we tried it that one day and i was like so if you eat one salad does it all fly off and everybody's like well no you have to like do it over and over and sometimes like if your workout routine's not working you have to switch it up and i was like and you just perfectly laid out exactly what we're gonna do here because we're gonna try this multiple times in a row and then if it doesn't work we're gonna tweak it and try it more and I think when it comes to getting that buy-in, if you can take it out of the ABA world, I feel like it 
clicks a lot better um, because you know we get sometimes in ABA we get stuck on our own terms and our own words and I think you know we immediately get that well I don't know this or because some of our terms are so typical mm -hmm. like we use punishment and we use reinforce not in the same sense mm -hmm. but we use those words so people think they know so I have found to try to get that buy-in is to switch it up into you know a real world example where they can kind of grasp what I'm talking about and then with that buy-in you know we're able to get somewhere so it's so funny because I use that same exact example but in a slightly different way about kind of how it gets worse before it gets better and so I always say you know if you decide you're going to cut out sugar that first night you're going to eat an entire cake by yourself like the very first time you deprive yourself of sugar you're going to eat a lot of sugar it's gonna you're going to want it so much more and just because you ate that cake doesn't mean that tomorrow you can't again try and reduce your sugar intake and over time hopefully your craving will go away but most times when you completely take something out you want it even more and that's something that typically happens but i'll see with my therapist again we'll put something in place and the next day they're like oh no that was terrible and i'm like oh we just got to do it for a couple more days and then we'll start to see that progress all right well those are all the questions i had did you guys want to share anything else I don't have anything. <laughs> I love how we had strategies that teachers can immediately use. Absolutely. That's that my goal. <laughs> you guys were awesome co-hosts. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks. you. Thank you for listening to my podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd greatly appreciate if you left me some feedback. And if you want to hear more, go ahead and give me a follow. While you're at it, come say hi on social media. You can find me at Adaptation Station on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and you can visit me at adaptationstation.net. I can't wait to bring you guys the next episode, and I'll talk again soon.